A few weeks ago, we headed over to St. Paul, Minnesota. It was spring break for the boys, and the boys love the NHL, and so we wanted to take them to a hockey game. The Minnesota Wild were playing the Vegas Golden Knights, and so we were on our way over to St. Paul. The next day, we went to the Science Museum, and you know, it was a great opportunity to run a couple parenting seminars, but Brooke frowned upon that, and I'm like, really, just let me speak, and she's like, no, just, just stop, and that was a fun experience for the children in Brook. Uh, but then once we, uh, once we got done with that, it was time to, time to head back home. And as we were heading back home, the kids were like, oh, this trip is taking forever. Now, little do they know, when I grew up, traveling on road trips was my sister and I in the back seat of a car with an area between us that technically could have fit another person, but not really. And there were rules about what side of the car our feet could go on, so they couldn't cross the middle threshold. And our entertainment was we got to look outside the window. And once every couple hours, I would get to request a cassette tape. And my request had to go through my parents, and they had to actually sign off that we could all listen to the cassette tape. I couldn't read in the car. I'd get motion sick. So those were road trips growing up. Now, not to present this like my kids have the lap of luxury, right? We have a Chevrolet Equinox. It's like every car on the road is Chevrolet Equinox, and there's nothing special about it, but there's a little bit more room in the back seat for them. We've put on the back of Brooklyn and I's seat these things that you can hook a tablet into, and then through blue... Uh, through Bluetooth, you can put this sound through the, uh, through the car audio system so they can watch movies. And as we're driving along and they're watching the same episode of Henry Danger for the 17th time, not because that was the only thing on the tablet, but because that's all they wanted to watch was that episode on the tablet, then my, my youngest son says, why does the trip home always take longer than the trip there? And I'm like, well, buddy, because on the way, there's something that you can be excited about. There's anticipation, and there's excitement, and you have an energy. You're looking forward to something. And on the way home, you've already experienced all that, so that energy and that anticipation and that excitement is all gone. It's no longer there. This morning, we're going to start something we're going to be doing over the course of the next couple months, and that's we're going to be looking at the books of First and Second Peter and something that we're calling a greater gain. And one of the things I want you to keep at the forefront of your mind as we do this is this principle, this principle that we are all living right now. For all of us who made the decision to follow Jesus, we are all living in anticipation, we're all living in anticipation for the promise that is to come. We haven't experienced it yet, but the best for those of us who've made the decision to follow Jesus, the best is yet to come. And that should guide us, and that should energize us, and that should excite us. So as I said, we're going to be looking at First and Second Peter over the course of the next couple months. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once you install it on your device, you can enable the events feature within the Bible app and then either enable locations or type in zip code 54201. Their Lakeside Community Church will pop up and you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we're going to be again in First and Second Peter. Those are books in the New Testament. And for those of you streaming, thank you for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below. 
before we launch into 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1 in just a couple minutes. We've kind of done a write-up about what, what we're going to be looking at. And, and this is what we've written. I'm just going to read it to you verbatim. He was famous and well-connected. He managed a following and could have easily used it for his own gain. He was a charismatic leader, a powerful presence, and confident in the way he lived. Rather than promote himself and build his own empire, however, he chose instead to embrace a more difficult life, even to suffer, so that he could make the lives of others better. He could have paved the road many that have followed him have taken, but Peter chose a better life, a life of humility, a life dedicated to others and a life that serves as an example to the change that results when we follow Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here, and I'm so excited to launch this look at First and Second Peter as we start today in First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, where we read these words. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I just want us to stop right here, and I want us to look at this, because we get the, okay, the first part, Peter, he's, he's letting us know that he wrote the letter, and the rest of this kind of sounds like something that you would see in a Christian bookstore, or hanging up at your grandma's house with a little floral print, and you kind of just notice it there, but you kind of just breeze right past it, and I want you to understand the context in which Peter is writing this letter. I want you to understand what is going on because this is going to be foundational as we look at the rest of 1st and 2nd Peter for us to really understand the reality of everybody who's getting this letter and what they're experiencing and what's going on in their lives. And so let me just read part of verse 1 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Understand what has happened. These are people who have been scattered. And the reason that they've been scattered is because they have experienced persecution for following Jesus. They have made the decision to follow Jesus, and as a result of their faith in God, they have experienced direct persecution. We see this unfold in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 is something called the Great Commission. It is where the followers of Jesus are told, go to the uttermost parts of the earth and make disciples. Go tell people about the transition that you've experienced as a result of your faith in Jesus. Go and share the message of hope that you have received because of what Jesus has done for you. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, meaning the moment every one of us makes the decision to follow Jesus, God comes and literally resides within us. That God's presence is within us. He gives us a gift and He convicts us when we do wrong things. And all this is the working of God within us. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, we see that, we see that the disciples and the followers of Jesus are going about their lives. Acts chapter 4, persecution arrives on the scene. 
And the message that the disciples and followers of Jesus were given in Acts chapter 1 to go and to tell the world about what Jesus had done, they had not left. They had not gone anywhere. They were still in Jerusalem. Persecution comes starting in Acts chapter 4, and the followers of Jesus leave Jerusalem as a result of the persecution that they're experiencing. And what this tells us is a few things. And why I'm hammering this point home is because of this. I want you to understand a couple things. The first is this. God has never promised us that a life of following Him would be easy. God has never promised us that a life of following Him would be easy. That if we would just put our faith and trust in Jesus, that magically everything in our lives is going to go according to plan. We're never going to experience any hardship and everything's going to be perfect. And the reason that I'm harping on this point is because some people think that's the deal they signed up for. Some people think that because I've made the decision to follow Jesus, I should never suffer. Nothing should ever go wrong in my life because I've made the decision to follow Jesus after all. The problem with that is nowhere in Scripture is that promised. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to have a lot of problems. There are going to be people who don't like you just as a result of the fact that you follow me. And by the way, when that happens, take heart because they hated me first. But when we think we've entered a deal with God that if I, that if I follow God, everything in my life is going to be easy and going to be perfect. The moment suffering comes, the moment God does not operate as my personal genie and give me whatever I ask for on my own terms, the moment that happens, our faith is shaken to the core. And the reason it's shaken to the core is because we think we've signed up for a deal that God never offered us. I see it right here. The earliest followers of Jesus, the disciples, experienced persecution. They experienced suffering. They experienced hardship as a result of their faith. And they are scattered across. But I also harp on this point because I want you to remember something. That when you experience tough times, when you experience hardship, when you experience a world that doesn't make sense, and, and many of you are there right now, you're experiencing things that have rocked you to your core. You're experiencing things that you just shake your head and you're like, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why I'm experiencing this. Honestly, every single one of us for the last two years has kind of been in a, in a cycle of trauma with the pandemic and everything that went on with that. And some people have made changes and adjustments to their lives that have lasted for a season. And other people have made changes and adjustments to their lives that are going to last now for the rest of their lives as a result of what we've endured and what we've been through and all those things. Some people look at the, the country that they live in, the society that they live in, they shake their head and say, I live in a world I don't recognize. I live in a world that I don't understand. I feel like I've lost everything. Some of you have just recently gotten news that, that's shaking you to your core, and you find yourself right here. And what I want you to understand is the hope that we have, the hope that we have when these things come, the hope that we have when we experience suffering, the hope that we have when things seem hopeless, is that they're never hopeless. 
And the hope that we have isn't in and of ourselves. The hope that we have is in what Jesus has done for us and the fact that he loves us and the best is yet to come. And there is a promise, and that's what we're going to, we're going to see today. But just remember, in those times when things are bleak, in those times where, where it seems hopeless, in those times where you are rocked to your core, remember what Jesus has already done for you. Remember what God has done. And I just want to mention this, that this idea of scattering, this isn't a foreign concept to Peter. In fact, just last week, Derek gave us a look at this, that one of the most famous aspects of Peter was the night that Jesus would be betrayed. And as Jesus gave the disciples news that he would be betrayed, Peter, he spoke up and he said, not me. Jesus, I don't know about these other guys, but me? They're going to have to kill me to get to you. They're going to have to go through me. And Jesus is like, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. You're gonna, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, not I, Lord. And then he does. And then he runs. And for those of you who've disappointed God, for those of you who are discouraged because of some choices that you've made, I just want to encourage you with this. God wasn't done with Peter on that night. In fact, God uses Peter in massive ways. God isn't done with you because he's been disappointed in you. God isn't done with you because you've made some horrible mistakes. You're never too far gone for God to redeem. You're never too far gone for God to love. And we see it in Peter. And I hope you recognize that in your own life. And you don't convince yourself, well, because I made this mistake, because I've made this choice, there's no hope for me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is all a result of God's mercy. All this is possible because of God's mercy to us. And this idea of being born again, a theme that we see throughout the New Testament, it literally means new life. It's a fresh start. What's in the past is in the past. You're a new creation. The moment you make the decision to follow after Jesus. So for those of you who've been following Jesus for a while, I want you to go back in your mind to that time where you first made the decision to follow Jesus. Go back to that time where there was that enthusiasm, there was that excitement when you first made the decision to follow Jesus. Some of you don't have to go back in your minds at all because you're there right now and this is new and this is exciting for you. And the living hope that you have the hope that you have that's available to all of us through the resurrection of Jesus and the excitement and the enthusiasm that you carry each and every day because you're a new creation, because you're born again, because you're brand new. For those of you who've had the experience of being parents, I want you to go back to the time when they couldn't speak and say things that you just wish you never taught them to speak because they say, before they caused hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of damage, before any of those things, I want you to go back in time before they thought they knew more than you and you're holding them in your arms and you're just filled with awe and wonder and hope for what's to come. 
filled with excitement for, for all the promise and all the potential of the life that is to come, thinking through all your dreams and all your hopes for them. And this is the hope that we have through Jesus, that we can accomplish great things, that, that, that we have a living hope that, is, that really should shape us and alter us day in and day out. That we are people, because of our relationship with Jesus, who should be full of hope and full of promise and full of wonder. And then he goes on and he builds on this foundation to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He says, remember what's promised when life is hard, when your circumstances are difficult. When it seems the world doesn't make sense, in light of all of that, remember what I've promised you. Remember that the best is yet to come. And as a follower of Jesus, you have an inheritance, an inheritance that is perfect, that's forever, that's stored in heaven. It's better than any inheritance you would ever experience in this world, where you're either going to spend it all, or you're going to be stuck in court with an unwell-adjusted sibling fighting and the lawyers take more than you ever see as a result of that. Whatever the case may be, this is an inheritance that never fades. It is perfect. It's undefiled. And it can't go anywhere. And it is kept in heaven for you. When your world is falling apart, when you are suffering, when you face people's ridicule, for your faith in Jesus, remember what's to come. The best is yet to come. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is fascinating to me. That we are guarded. That we are guarded. And we're guarded by God's power. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm picking a security detail, and I don't need to pick a security detail because I, I don't need security. I'm not a risk, all right? But if I had to pick a security detail on the top of that list, God's a good choice. Good luck beating that security, all right? But that's literally what we're told, is that our lives, for those of us who follow Jesus, we are guarded by God. That God is, he's, intricately aware of every aspect and every detail in our lives. And he protects us to the point that nothing outside of his will can be done to us. We have a sense of security. I know for some of you, you've wrestled your entire life with this feeling of insecurity, either because of unspeakable things that have happened to you or because people that... Who, who should have loved you and protected you, have said unspeakable things to you, and it's, it's shaped you and it's altered you at your core, and it's a lifelong battle of self-worth and insecurity that you face and that you fight. And what we're told here is that for those of us who follow Jesus, our sense of security is in the fact that God loves us. He's instinctively aware of what's going on in our lives, and nothing can happen to us outside of God's will for our lives. This should embolden us. This should make it so we walk through life feeling secure, remembering our standing that we have with God. A while ago, I was in Palm Beach, Florida. 
and somebody had loaned me their sports car to drive around, and I was driving around, and they told me, here's a section that you're going to want to go see, and it was just where the richest of the rich people lived, and, and people who were very influential at the time, this portion of Palm Beach. And as I took the car and, and followed some of their directions, I drove past compounds of, of Rush Limbaugh. The Kennedys had a compound there. Donald Trump at the time, he, he had a house. I mean, just the wealthiest of the wealthy of homes that were there. And I had my cell phone on the passenger seat, and it started to ring, and it wasn't my sports car, and I probably couldn't have afforded to repair it or replace it, certainly. So I pulled over to the side of the road, and I picked up the phone call, and I started talking. And as I was talking on the phone, all of a sudden, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I see two gentlemen uh, dressed in guard uniforms, carrying firearms. And they weren't charging at the car, uh, but they were walking briskly. As it turns out, I had just pulled over and stopped in front of the Kennedy compound and was just sitting there in my car on the phone uh, having a conversation and this certainly wasn't right after September 11th, but in a post-September 11th world, I, I was just sitting out there having a having conversation, and uh, Senator Kennedy, he was a senator at the time, uh, and, and apparently the guards didn't like the fact that there was just a random person sitting in a car outside of the compound. Uh, I, I don't know for a fact, because as soon as I saw them walk into the car, I just sped off, and uh, I just left. It was time for me to go. Got to go. Bye. Uh, not a conversation I felt the need to have. So I just drove away, and apparently everything was fine uh, because there wasn't a large police presence or anything that followed me, but I just got out of there. And here's what I, here's what I want you to know. That God is guarding you. That your creator and the creator of the universe, if you've placed your faith and trust in his son Jesus, he is aware of the details of your life. He is aware of the whereabouts. He is aware of what's going on in your life. He is aware of things that are going on around you that you're not even aware of. And there is nothing that can get you or happen to you outside the will of God. You are safe, and you are secure. And that's how we have to live our lives. But it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, and here's why. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Did you catch this? In this, you rejoice. Well, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to rejoice about. The fact that we have hope because of what Jesus has done for us. The fact that he extends blessing to us, an inheritance that can never be taken for us. That God guards us, that he's got us, that Jesus loved us enough to pay the price for our sin. This is all things that we rejoice in. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. which means rejoicing and grief aren't incompatible. 
which means, as people who follow Jesus, we don't have to walk through life selling a facade. We don't have to pretend that everything's perfect and everything's wonderful. And somewhere along the way, it's, it's gotten to be this mark of spirituality, this mark of maturity in following Jesus is that we're always blessed and everything in our life is fantastic and everything's wonderful. And what, we're, what we see here is that's not the case. In fact, what we see here is we have license to be authentic, that sometimes life is going to tear us apart. And sometimes it's going to crush us to the core. And sometimes it's just going to be miserable going through what we have to endure. Put yourself in the shoes of the early followers of Jesus, of the early disciples. You're now being ripped away from your home. You're now being ripped away from friends that you have had for years and years and years. And your crime is putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And you're now a refugee. You now run, leaving the life you knew and all those close to you behind. There's room to grieve there for what's lost. Nowhere are we promised that life is going to be easy or fun or always pleasant. And hope in Jesus doesn't equate to us having to put up a front and having us having to pretend that everything's wonderful and everything's perfect in our lives when our lives are spiraling out of control. The faith in Jesus grounds us and it reminds us that no matter what we experience, that God is ultimately in control and there is nothing that can get to us that is outside of God's will. But there are going to be things that still happen to us that hurt, that are difficult. And the freedom that we have as a result of following Jesus is that, yes, we have hope, but we don't have to fake it. We don't lose sight of that hope. We don't have to pretend that everything's perfect in our lives when our lives are far from perfect. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the hard reality. The hard reality is this. Sometimes God allows us to face difficulty for our own good. The hard reality is sometimes God allows us to face difficulty for our own good, to shape us and change us and make us and mold us into something new. For our own good. A couple years ago, we were teaching the boys to, to ride bikes. They knew how to ride bikes with training wheels. And I'm like, no, it's time to get these training wheels off. So let's go. First lesson, we're out in the driveway. I'm like, all right, get, get on your bike. Hop on the bike, falls over immediately. I'm like, well, this is going to be a day. Uh, let's try that again. Gets back up, falls right back over. I'm like, all right, well, you were given my balance in the, in the genetics lottery. Lucky you. Uh, let's, let's try again. Finally got on the bike a little bit. I'm like, how about this? I'll hold on to your seat, and you pedal, and, and we'll learn to ride that way, and I'll keep hold of your seat. Great. 
I hold on to the seat. Son's starting to ride along. I let go of the seat. He's still riding along. Realizes I let go of the seat. Wipes out. <laughs> Wipes out in the street. Tears. Why'd you let go? Because I'm not going to run behind the bike for the rest of my life holding on to it. Like, you got to learn. It's like, I don't want to ride a bike. I'm like, all right, well, pick it up and walk it home. He's like, you carry it home. I'm like, no, I'm good. You can do it. It's your bike. I'll try one more time. Gets back up, hold on to it. He's riding. I let go. Gets a little bit further. Plows right into the pavement again. Walk over to him, pick him up, console him a little bit, tell him, all right, that's enough. You're starting to create a scene. And I don't really mind the scene, but Brooke, you know, she doesn't really like the scene as much. And I'm like, all right, you're, you're all right? Yeah. Now, why I go through this? Because I'm a horrible father? I mean, maybe in your perspective. Or maybe it's the fact that he can now ride a bike. God loves us enough to allow us to experience hardship, to allow us to experience pain, to allow us to go through difficult circumstances for our own good. And it isn't because God's evil. It isn't because God hates us. It's just the opposite. He loves us enough that sometimes He allows us to face difficulty for our own good. Why? For the genuineness of our faith, which is more precious than gold. And I just want to ask you, how valuable is your faith to you? I mean, gold's about 1,800 an ounce right now. How valuable is your faith to you? Because the picture we're given here is that our faith is more valuable than gold. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can't see God. And Peter here is writing to people who didn't have the privilege of seeing Jesus in the flesh like Peter did. And what he tells us is this. We can't see God, but we can certainly feel him. We can't see God, but we can certainly feel him. And the skeptic and the cynic would say, well, why is God so difficult? Why is God so difficult to find? Why, if God is real, can't I see him? As though God owes us an explanation to exist on the terms that we can understand. As if God should operate in our senses. As if God is somewhat limited to our understanding. Peter says, no, you can't see him. But you can feel him. You can certainly feel him. And you have a joy. And that joy is inexpressible. You're filled with glory. For what? Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of our souls. Life is not going to be easy. 
it is not going to be fun. And I know some of you have been given a, a sudden reminder of that fact. You've been given news that has shaken you to your core. You've found yourself in, involved in these the last two years that have been traumatic. And it, it has changed things about your reality. It's changed things about you. You're going right now through a hard season. You're just slamming your head against the wall because it seems nothing is going according to plan. Nothing is working right. And you just want to rip your hair out sometimes and you want to scream and you don't understand it. And to you, I just want to remind you that the best is yet to come. There are aspects of the promise of Jesus that we will not experience on this side of eternity. But what we will experience on this side of eternity is this. The knowledge that no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter what we experience, we are not alone. The same God who proved His love for us through the sacrifice of His Son Jesus guards us is intricately aware of what's going on in our lives, and there is nothing outside of His will for our lives that can happen to us. So we don't have to walk through life in fear. But God loves us enough to allow us to experience some hard seasons and some hardship. And that isn't punishment. It isn't because God hates us. It's ultimately for our own good. That awaiting us is an inheritance that will last forever. That is greater than anything that we can ever imagine. But in the time being, while we're still here, the knowledge that we're going to experience. Hardship. Sometimes being isolated being mocked and ridiculed, being misunderstood. That's all part of our reality. My hope and my prayer as we walk through First and Second Peter is that we keep sight of the blessing of God, both in the here and now, and in the promise that is to come, that the best is yet to come. God, I pray that we would be people, people who love and follow you. I pray for the people right now who find themselves in a situation they do not want, where there is pain and there is suffering and there is loss and there is grief. And I pray that you would encourage them, that you would encourage their hearts, strengthen their souls, remind them of how you've already worked in the past in their lives. And God, that they would keep honoring you with the decisions and the choices that they make. I pray, God, for the openness and the honesty of authentic community. 
where we don't feel like we have to put on a show and we don't feel like we have to present ourselves as having it all together when our lives are spiraling out of control, when there are things in our lives that cause us angst. But God, that this would be a community where we come alongside each other and pray for one another, support one another and encourage one another. And when someone's too weak, we carry them for a while. I pray, God, that collectively we would celebrate all that you've done in our lives. We would celebrate the hope that is made possible through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, may we live lives that honor you, glorify you, and that present the hope that we've experienced to others. When our lives are good, and in the midst of challenges. Let us live for you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.